Thanks for tuning into the Foundry Church podcast, where we encourage others to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Join us live, in person, or online at 1030 on Sunday morning. You can find out more about us online at thefoundrychurch.com. Find us on social media by searching The Foundry Work. God bless. All right. Hey, I'm excited to be wrapping up this series on Jonah today because I think and believe that the message of Jonah is one of the most, if not the most, relevant message that we can have for our world today. Listen, uh, what Jonah went through, where he went, the message that he was called to preach, man... It's just for us today as much as it was for the Ninevites back in the day. I'm not going to do the math. I don't know how many years ago. But back in the day, it was relevant then and it was relevant now. So turn with me to the book of Jonah. And as you're turning there, let me, let me recap. Now, Jonah is in the Old Testament. It's up, uh, one of the prophetic literatures, right? One of the uh, prophets. If you don't have a Bible, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And you can take those with you. Uh, those Bibles are free for you to have, to use, to take, uh, to mark up, to study. They are for you. So turn to Jonah in the Old Testament. Use your table of contents if you need to. I do all the time, all right? So last week, we began this story of Jonah. And we learned that this man, Jonah, was an Old Testament prophet, the, a real person, not just a character from uh, Sunday school or Veggie Tales, but he was an actual man who was asked to do something crazy for God. And that crazy thing was this. He, he was asked to go to the huge city of Nineveh and tell them to repent. And look, Foundry Church, we learned that Nineveh, that it was a horrible city uh, with literally dead bodies laying on the ground. So uh, understandably, Jonah did not want to go. And so he, uh, he jumped on a ship and he sailed in the exact opposite direction uh, of the known world. He went to Tarshish or was on his way to Tarshish. And God uh, sent a big old storm. A big, giant storm. So Jonah, he wised up and he realized that you cannot run from God. You just can't do it. It's not possible. So in an effort to save the sailors that were on the ship and to follow the will of God, Jonah volunteers to be thrown overboard. He knew that the storm was his, his fault, that God was trying to get his attention. And so he, he jumped overboard, right? He, he um, was the reason why the storm was there in the first place. And we ended last week's story with Jonah being swallowed by a big old fish. Now, this is an older picture, but I'm pretty sure it looked something like this. We, see the one on the right there? That's me and my cousin. But that was the biggest lake trout I've ever caught. So I, in my mind, it was like that fish. I'm kidding. It was more like this. This shark is the, the, this shark from last summer, this is the inspiration for the movie Jaws. All right? No. 
I'm kidding, right? But it was this, this huge fish that swallowed up Jonah, right? Now, now being stalled by this fish gave him a change of perspective. So I guess it's true what they say, right? A, a change of place and a change of pace equals a change of perspective. That was definitely true in Jonah's life. And that's where we pick up the story today. So look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 with me, all right? Open up your Bibles. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, simply says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Now, I have to stop right there because this, this is crazy. Obviously, it wasn't one of those monsters, right? Jonah has just been thrown into the middle of the ocean, Foundry Church, in the midst of a, a crazy storm. He is, is positive. Death is knocking on the door. And then Jonah wakes up to the overpowering aroma of rotting fish. He probably thought, well, hell must be a fish market, right? <laughs> and that's, what, that's probably what he was thinking. And then as he starts to regain his senses, maybe even opens his eyes and he, he starts to look around, he realizes that he's not dead. No, he, he's alive and he is in the belly of a giant fish. And his response is to pray. And read on, right? Verses 2 through 9, it says this. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Shul. I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, Shul, just real quick, that's a Hebrew word. Uh, some people use it for, uh, for hell, and that, it, can be a, it can be hell, but it, what it is is a, a dark separation, right? It, so he's quite literally saying, I'm in hell. I'm in a dark, separated place right now, Right? I cried out, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land um, whose bars closed upon me forever. Ever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And verse 8 says, those who pray regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I... With the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now I think, like most of us, our prayer in this moment would sound something like this. Lord, um, ah, whoo, hey, thanks for saving me from the storm. That was good and dandy, but I'm, I'm going to need you to get me out of here. When can I expect that to happen, God? Oh, God, please, Lord, right? I need answers. Get me out of the belly of this stinky old fish. But that's, that's not Jonah's prayer at all, is it, Foundry Church? Jonah's prayer acknowledges a few things. It acknowledges that God is in control, right? He says, you cast me into the deep. All your waves, all your billows, 
all the things you control passed over me. Now, this is one of my favorites, right? You, you see Foundry Church, uh, despite um, desperate situations, uh, despite all the, that stuff going around, uh, are not, they're not a result of, of God falling asleep at the wheel, right? The things that are happening to Jonah are, are, are not the result of, of, of Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to take a nap in the belly of the boat like we talked about last week, Right? And Jonah, he acknowledges that. Jonah admits that God is in control of every stinking situation. He is in control of the deep sea, of the waves, of the billows. Pretty cool. I shared on Friday with our men at the Iron Council, our men's night, that I feel beat sometimes. You feel like that? Ah, busy, beaten. It's like a storm is always just pounding me. Right? Weather, whatever you want to call it, weather all around. Right? And you in a storm right now, right? God is still sovereign. That's what we can see from the story of Jonah. Foundry Church, even, even when our, our safety is compromised and we find ourselves in the belly of a stinking rotten fish, God is still sovereign. Right? And that, that is an amen, hallelujah, praise be type of moment. Right? That's good stuff, right? Truth, we can hang our hat on if we're forging our life on God. We can hold that white knuckle, that truth. God is still sovereign no matter what weather, what crud, what storm is beating down on us. No matter if we're on a joyful beach somewhere or if we're out out in the sea in the belly of a whale. Now let me zoom back here because... This prayer is also a prayer of repentance. And now there's baggage around that word. I get that. Right? But to repent simply means just to turn around. Turn around. Right? It's like when you're using the Waze app and you take a wrong turn. For a while, it usually tells you to turn around, right? Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. I've named my Waze app Beyonce because it's bossy. Right? You get that little song? All right, never mind. All right. It says, make a U-turn, right? If you don't turn around, eventually you'll get so far off track that it will take a different route altogether, right? Even if you don't make that U-turn, eventually it's going to re-what? Calculate. But what remains the same in your app? The destination. The destination, right? That is what repentance is. It's making a U-turn. It's taking a new step. Stopping the old and exchanging it for new, but the one thing remains the same, God, and God is in control, God is sovereign, doesn't matter if you're off track. Again, amen, hallelujah, praise be type of moment right there, right? Right, Jonah prayed this, I shall again look upon your holy temple, O Lord. You brought up my life from the pit. My prayer came to you. My prayer still came to you into your holy temple with thanksgiving. I will sacrifice to you salvation. My salvation that I already have, that, that initial coming to the Lord, the salvation that I need daily, that grace I need daily, belongs to you, O Lord. Right, Jonah is started out as a dummy. Ended pretty well. Jonah is in the belly of a stinking fish, but he says, God, I really messed this 
up. But I will sacrifice to you again. I will worship you again. I messed up, but now I will worship you. All right, let's, let's read on because this is crazy. Um, and as the kids say, I put this in there. Christina told me not to say it, but it's lit. All right? It's a lit story. It's a crazy story. So look at verse, uh, chapter, 10, or chapter 2, verse 10 here. It says, And the Lord spoke to the fish. Right, that's a whole different sermon for another time, but that's pretty cool. Right? And it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Right, verse chapter three now, verses one through three says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Right, then it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey into the breadth. It took three days. <laughs> Keep your finger right there. So after Jonah's prayer in the belly of this fish, after this repentant moment, Jonah was vomited, burped up, or according to our middle school boys' small group last Sunday, they made a pretty good argument that he was pooped up. Jim can attest to that conversation. And this is the first thing God says is, Arise. Arise, go to Nineveh. And this is, this is important to understand. God, listen, all right, we got to get this. God, our God, the God that we're forging our life on, right, the God that Jonah is forging his life on, right, God is not repeating himself because somehow Jonah may have forgotten what God wanted him to do. Right? No, this is a glimpse into the character of God. Let's get that right, right? Look, look. if you get nothing out of today, you're going to want to get this point right here. God is a determined God. The God that we forge our life on is a determined God. He is a faithful God, yes. He is a God who always intends to see his plans through to completion, right? He's a determined God. Founding Church, we are seeing that our God does not punk out. That's what Jonah, this story is showing us. He does not quit. Our God does not quit. <laughs> the God that we forge our life on doesn't give up. Right? He has called Jonah to a task. And when, Jenna says, when Jonah says, no, I'm good, when he says, I'm good, I'm going to go to sleep in the belly of the boat, screw the people of Nineveh, screw the fact that their crud is up in your face, God. When Jonah does that, God doesn't say, okay, cool. I'll find somebody else, Jonah. No! He doesn't do that. He doesn't quit. Jonah, right? He, he, he's always pursued by God, right? God pursues Jonah. He goes along with Jonah, right? Earlier in the book of Jonah, it says Jonah ran, like we talked about last week, to get away from the presence of God. He ran to get away from the presence of God. He went to the opposite end of the known world because he thought, ah, God surely couldn't be there, right? And God laughed, as he went along the way with Jonah on the boat to Tarshish. Because God was there. God said, sure, you can try to run, but I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to bring a big old storm, and then a big old fish, like that giant great white I had. Right, there's, a, there's a famous scene from the Lord of the Rings. It's actually a meme now. You've seen it. Right? It's Frodo. He's on a boat, and he calls on to his best friend, Sam. Uh, Sam Wise, because he's wise. And he says, I have to bear this burden. This is my best Lord of the Rings acting. 
I have to go on this trip by myself. I have to do this on my own. And Sam says, of course you are. And I'm coming with you. That is a picture of God in this moment. Right? That I, that's the picture I have when Jonah's trying to run. Okay, you can run. You can run. But I'm coming with you. And so is my call on your life, is what God is saying. Because I want you to live life to the full. I want you to live abundant life, Jonah. Right? You think you want this, but what you need is this. Life that you were created to live. Purpose, meaning, powerful life. Right? Foundry, lean in here. Right? No matter. No matter where you go. Catch this. Listen, no matter where you go, no matter the doubts you have, no matter the questions you have, no matter the confusion you have because of all the weather is around you and beating you down, God will pursue you. And the purpose he has for our life, that promise that he has for you to live life to the full, abundant life, life that you, you, only you were created to live, will always be there. His grace was never going to leave you. Right? Take, take a look at what it says in Philippians real quick, chapter 1-6. Now, Philip, you're going to want to turn there because this is a scripture you're going to want to highlight. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 in the New Testament. It's one of the pastoral letters of Paul or one of the Pauline letters. Verse 6 simply says this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the end of at the day of Jesus Christ our god doesn't quit our god does not quit we can be confident that when god calls us to something and when he wants us to live life to the full abundant life life that we were only created to live he is determined to carry out through to completion and you'll do whatever it takes all right? There's an old saying, he's the hound of heaven. He's going to hunt you down. Right? He, even, he even maybe sent a big old fish to bring you where he wants you to be. It's almost like God is willing to do whatever it takes to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul, and that soul is yours. Hey, Foundry Church, that is our God. Man, that's cool, isn't it? That's our God, the God that we get to forge our life on. That's our God. So let's read on in this crazy Lit story, Christina. Verses 3 through 4. So Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in, in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey into the city. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <laughs> yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah pulls into town, he gets off his camel, right? And he gives the most effective evangelistic message the world has ever known. And it may also have been the shortest and dumbest message ever given, right? Jonah enters Nineveh and for three days he preaches judgment against it. Over and over again he preaches this simple message. This, this one sentence over, it's all just, just repeat, repeat, repeat. Right, this one message sentence. Right, for three days he preaches what seems like a message of hopeless judgment, of despair, of, of 
ending of just death. But then in verse 5, it says this. Look at it. It says, and the people of Nineveh, because of this stupid message, believed God. So maybe not so stupid. All right, believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth, a way of, of repenting during this Old Testament time, showing their humility before God. From the greatest of them to the least of them. Jonah preaches a sermon that most people today right, think would cause the Ninevites to run in the opposite direction. Right? But, but you see, inherent in the message Jonah was preaching is a kernel, a kernel of hope through repentance. It's a sermon of hope. It's a message of hope. Right, the word uh, God wanted Jonah to proclaim penetrates into the hearts of the people throughout the city, Foundry Church. And they respond not with, with chaos or despair, but with repentance and prayer. Humility. You see, Foundry Church, take a look at this. The simple truth of the gospel is that it really is good news to all who hear it. That's the, the good news is really good news to everybody who hears it. The good news is a message for everyone. It is for those running from God, those who don't even know God exists, those who are trying to keep God at an arm's distance because they haven't quite figured him out yet or, or trust him or have questions or, or unanswered Doubt, a message for the worst of sinners. It's a message of hope for the kindest of people. It is a message for the Republican, the Democrat, the Independent. It's a message for people of every tribe, of every nation, of every tongue, of every creed. It is a message of those who we count as our enemy. Oh, it's a message of hope for them too. (laughs) And it's a message of hope for you. It's a message of hope for you daily, man. We are people forging our life on God, and we're guiding others to do the same. And as those people, we've got to believe this. It has to be at the core of our faith, Foundry Church. Hope. Hope that is, that is in repentance. Hope that is say, um, saying, screw forging my life on everything other than God, even if it's good. Even if it's good by this world's standards. Forget it. That's not what I'm going to forge my life on, right? I'm going to forge my life on God and that abundant life, that that purpose, that life to the full that he has given me. And all those other things will fall into place. I'm going to live a life to the full. I'm going to live that abundant life, the life that I was created to live, purpose, meaning, powerful life. Now, listen, listen. If you don't believe the news that God came down off the mountain, that he came to us, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, that he, he rose again and so that we could be together in heaven, then what are we doing? <laughs> and why sing songs of worship to God if the good news isn't good? Why pray together and, and pray at all if the good news isn't good? Why take communion to remember God's sacrifice if the good news, the gospel, Jesus' story, isn't good? 
Right? Well, why, why preach to people we don't like? Why try to reach out to people we don't like if the good news isn't good? It is good news for all who hear it. Right? No matter how short the sermon, right? like Jonah's, not mine, <laughs> or how smelly the prophet may be, so I'm sure he ranked, right? Or how little we know about the Hebrew words that are in the Bibles that we hold in our laps. The good news is always good for everyone who hears it. Always. Right? You know, you know how I know this? Because of what happens next in verses 6 through 9. Take a look at that. Simply says this, though the word, this one message sentence, right, the sermon, reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Another form of humility and repentance. Right, and, and he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and of his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Verse 8 says, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God, capital G God, big G God, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Then who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Even the king of the worst city in the history of the world, he hears this one sentence message and everything changes for his country. The whole country says that, hey, we're sorry. And they fast, they pray, they repent. Even the animals are going to be fasting and praying and repenting in their own way. We're just not going to feed them. <laughs> the, the day, that day, somewhere around 200,000 Ninevites repented and believed in God. They began to forge their life on God. If you look at numbers alone, this message, this one sentence, was more effective than any tent revival of old. It was more effective than the apostles in the book of Acts. More than Billy Graham. Right, more than uh, the revival that concluded at Asbury last week. That is the power of the good news. An entire city on their knees. An entire city turning from their evil ways. An entire city stopping all their violence. Church, there used to be dead bodies, it said, in the streets of Nineveh that you would have to walk over as you went about your business. That ended. Now there's no violence. They even made their animals fast from eating and drinking and put sackcloth on them. I couldn't imagine my dog doing that. I mean, come on, all right? Hope. Talk about reaching our neighbors so that we can change our culture. Hope that is in repentance. Hope that is in humility. I mean, take a look at what God does in, in verse 10 here at chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
The destruction God threatened goes away. He has mercy on the city Nineveh. He had grace on Nineveh. Kind of a highlight of what he's ultimately going to do for everybody, right, through his son. I mean, does this, I mean, does this not sound familiar, right? And the overall message of this story is similar to the whole gospel message, is it not, right? Our life is off course due to sin. We've missed the mark. We screwed up. Just be honest, we've all done that. None of us in here are perfect. I hate to break that to you. We're missing the mark, yet if we repent and believe, then there is a cause for celebration. So what do we do with all this information? Well, I think if we combine the beginning of the story from last week with what we've learned today, we'll get a whale of a lesson that we can use in our lives. (laughs) All right. Well, I kind of yelled at you last week. But the two major points were this. Wake up and answer the call. Wake up and answer the call. And I got to say, I was fired up because we have work to do. Foundry Church, don't kid yourselves. We have work to do. You have work to do. right? That life that God has called you to, that life to the full, that abundant life, is not a life sipping my ties on the beach, smoking cigars. I wish. But that's not the life. Right? So we got to wake up. we got to answer the call. Right? But you see, what else does God do? He says, you don't have to do this on your own. He says, I'll be with you. Yeah, think about that. Jonah, like we said, ran, and then he got stuck in a storm, and then he was in the belly of a stinky fish, and then he went to one of the most dangerous places in the history of the world. All the while, God was with him. The God that he forged his life on went before him, went with him, next to him, and came in behind him. So after we wake up, and as we begin to answer the call, I I think it is important that we we do this, that we lean into the presence of God. That we lean hard into the presence of God. It is true, sometimes God has called us to a tough place to do a tough thing, a thing that we don't want to do. Talk to our neighbor. I don't want to sometimes. All right, the, the guy who lives above me, in the apartment above me, he's got bricks for feet. More often than not, I want to punch him in his face because he's loud. Right? God calls us to things we don't want to do, right? Pray for someone we don't like. Whatever it is, right? Be intentional about our spiritual disciplines like prayer, reading, studying, evangelism, giving. But that's okay. Because we don't have to do it by ourselves, or in our own strength, or by our own power. The God who created the storm and sent that fish and then told the fish to let go of Jonah, that is the God who is with us as we answer the call that he has for each and every one of us. Foundry Church, listen. We don't even really have to want to be there. I know, it's weird to hear a preacher say this. We don't even really have to want to be there for God's presence to accomplish his mission. Look, obedience is enough. That's what he calls us to. (laughs) You might not feel like having that awkward conversation about Jesus. That's okay. 
or, or inviting someone over for a cup of coffee or, or, or dinner or calling out a close friend uh, to repentance when they're in sin. You may not feel like doing that. More often than not, you're probably not going to feel like doing that. You might not think they'll listen to you. Uh, you might think that... Um, uh, that you're not going to be any good at doing it, whatever it is, right? But the results are not our job. Our part is just to surrender and be obedient to just do it, to put our Nikes on and just do it. It is not our responsibility to make it effective. If God gives you a mission, he will also provide the power of his presence to make the mission work. Right? We dig up the ground, we plant the seeds, we do what he's asked us to do, we pull the weeds, we find joy in that because that's a promise that he's given us. But we can't do anything about making it rain or bringing the seeds to life and causing them to grow. That's God's part. Our job is to go and to say the words. It's, it's his job to, to make faith in the heart of the hearer. He's the one who gives life after all. He's our creator. He's the life bringer. Jonah's message was lame. It was one sentence. And it wasn't even a particularly good sentence like, would you like blue cheese with those buffalo wings? All right, it wasn't a good sentence. But listen, God's presence used it to call hundreds of thousands of people to hope, which is rooted in the faith in God and repentance. Right When we speak God's word to people, even when we are reluctant and poorly uh, paraphrase what it really says, even if we're not feeling it in that moment, his presence, God's presence, the God that we forge our life on, will use us to call people to faith and repentance if we only lean into who he is. If we only lean into hard on his presence in our life. The next time you're afraid to speak up and tell someone uh, something, maybe, maybe you feel the Holy Spirit gently nudging you, or maybe not so gently, remember Jonah. Right, Jonah? Jonah didn't want to. He did a poor job. He ran away. And God made it work anyways. In a mighty, powerful way that only God can get the credit. He became the world's greatest evangelist, Jonah. With a one-message sermon, one-sentence sermon, smelling like fish, because God was with him. Because he forged his life on God, even when he kind of got off track, he said, you know what? Forget forging my life on this, I'm back on track. Get me back on track. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a huge sense of relief. <laughs> I have work to do, yes, but how wonderful that the same God who created the universe is the one working with me and me and in me and through me. It is not up to me to get the work done. God will. He'll do it. When I worry about this local outpost that the kingdom of God has here in Burke, I can remember that the work does not depend on me. It depends on God to grow it into something beautifully creative and amazing or not. And that's okay because it's up to him and not me. Right when, when we lean into the presence of God, Foundry Church, it is clear what our job is and what it is not. It is our job to show up and to be faithful and to do our best. It is not our job to decide when to give up 
on a place or a people or a community or that name on our lock. It is never too late for the grace of God to show up. It is our job to speak to people and invite them to join us as we're forging a life on God. It is not our job to pick who gets to hear the good news of Jesus. That is for everyone. And God sorts out the responses. Our job is to get to know God better through his word and his communion. It is not our job to condone anyone, to condemn them, I mean. It is God, if God did not send Jesus, his son, right, God in the flesh into the world to condemn it, I'm pretty sure he didn't send us. So we can leave that up to him. Right? Our job is to rely on him and let him to do the work. Right? It is not our job to convince anyone. We can trust God to bring the mission alive in their hearts just like he's done in ours. May God give us boldness. May he use us to call people, our friends, our family, our neighbors, to faith and repentance. May we be faithful in what he's called us to do. And may we take it to heart with great comfort that none of this is up to us or about us. So what do we have so far, right? We have wake up, like last week we talked about, answer the call, we lean into the presence of God, and then we have embrace the grace of God. And you see what I did there? I know it's spelled wrong, but bear with me. I'm not good with these. I'm not a typical preacher. I struggle with these creative things. All right? But Jonah teaches us to be whales, I know, I know, I tried. But let's, let's just break this, this last letter down. What does it mean to embrace the grace of God? Oh, oh, church, it means so many things. But if we look at the life of Jonah, we can see it in two very big and practical ways. First, have a little bit of grace for yourself. Have a little bit of grace for yourself. We're in Nineveh. It's a hard world. Have a little bit of grace for yourself. If we are like, a, if we are in a Jonah-like season of rebellion, we too can pray, and God's grace is sufficient. Even if we've been in a decades-long season of fleeing from God, running from His presence, and and resisting His call, we are invited to come lay down our rebellion, Foundry Church. Be immersed not in judgment but in grace. Listen. We are all going to mess up. I'm going to mess up like every other day, like every other minute of every day, I mean. Right, we're going to go against the call of God at some point, but God has grace, and it is enough for all of us. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life since you were a little kid, and you're doing pretty good, or, or you're a hot mess express, as Christina likes to say, God's grace is sufficient. God wants to pour out grace on us like we can never even imagine. And even though, even though we are, are sinners, he's still going to use us to call other sinners to experience his grace so that they might repent and be delivered from that. Right? It says this in 1 John. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 16, for, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Have a little bit of grace for yourself. Because God 
has grace upon grace upon grace for you. Have a little bit of grace for yourself. Grace upon grace, church. Grace upon grace is what we are looking for. God's grace is sufficient. Listen, I'm going to invite the band to come up as I continue to dig into this. You feel like you can't do it. You, you might feel like you just can't do it. Even, even with the power of God, have a little bit of grace for yourself. God does, right? You, you think that the, the thing that God has called you to is just too big? Even with the presence of God, you think it's just too big. I can't force my life on God. Have a little bit of grace for yourself. God does. You think that the people in your neighborhood are too far gone? <laughs> you think they're, they're, just, they're just too far gone. There's no way. My, my cousin, my brother, whatever, they're just too far gone. Have a little bit of grace for them because God does. Right? God has grace upon grace for you, for me, for every person in the Nineveh that God has called us to, whatever that is, wherever you are. Right? As Paul says, we all have been given a field to tend. Tend it. And there's no better tool to tend that field than with grace. We only need to embrace it. Like this, the story of Jonah is a hard-hitting story that calls us to get up, to take action, but it is also a grace-filled, hopeful story that reminds us God is with us in the belly of a ship, in the belly of a, of a fish, in the belly of the worst city on earth. And when that city repents, it is going to be a whale of a story. And that's what he's calling you to. So let's stand. Let's worship. One more time uh, with a heart of dedication, saying, God, I suck. I've messed up. But your grace is upon grace upon grace is sufficient for me. And it's for, uh, sufficient for those that I pray for that don't know you yet. But I want them to know you because I want them with me in heaven and with you. So take that moment as we sing this next song to reflect on that, to dedicate yourself, to understand, hey, God's grace is sufficient for you and for everyone. Man, what a God we serve. Let's sing to him. <laughs>